The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. The bottom not in just yet. So says Guggenheim's Scott Minard. He's back with us four weeks after his spot-on call for a Bitcoin meltdown. We'll get his latest take on crypto, metals, the Fed, and more. Done deal. Amazon reportedly set to make a new $9 billion bet on streaming. Studio behind James Bond and Rocky. It's the GOP versus big tech and a battle for free speech as Florida takes a huge new swing at Facebook, Twitter, and Google, banning them from banning anyone, telling them they need to explain why they cut certain people off. A meeting with Musk, the Tesla CEO, tweeting about a key new development over his concerns around crypto its massive carbon footprint and left out of the mix. Why Nike, Under Armour, and Lululemon may be falling out of favor with consumers when it comes to social and environmental responsibility. Uh-oh. It is Tuesday, May 25th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world you may be watching. Thanks for joining us once again. I am Brian Sullivan. Good morning. Well, here's how your money and the global markets are setting up their day, and futures, they are higher once again. We are seeing a move up in the Dow, 95 points. The Nasdaq futures up a little more on a percentage basis. And don't look now, but the Dow is actually up three straight days. Of course, today could make it four, Boeing helping the index On Monday, all the volatility we have seen in equity markets the last two weeks, remember, have been sort of defined by that late week comeback, and we are up three days in a row coming into today. Right now, a look at the cryptos after a huge comeback day on Monday, and that is not TV hyperbole. Bitcoin having its best day since December of 2017. Ethereum posting its best day since October of 2017. Maybe that exhausted buyers and sellers, because actually it's quite calm right now. We are seeing Bitcoin down about 3.5%, but Ethereum down a little bit. Ripple is up. We'll call that, in a crypto world, we'll call that market flight to maybe slightly mixed. How's that? Well, your other big mover on Monday was oil. Crude oil pumping up another 3%. We are down a little bit right now, but WTI crude is just under $66 a barrel as oil kind of continues that slow march higher this year. Well, around the world, our big move here Monday may be helping power Asia to some very nice gains overnight. The Shanghai Composite surging more than 2%. Green across the screen there. And Europe, well, they're just kind of getting their trading day started. And again, mostly green. And don't look now. Again, like our Dow, we don't talk about Europe much. But the German DAX, not to be outdone, is also, with that move higher, at an all-time High. So the biggest stock market in Europe also seeing it record highs. 
All right, we'll get back to the markets and your money in a moment. But right now, let's kick it off with some of the big headlines happening, including Florida taking a big swipe at social media. Christina Partsinevolos is back this morning with us and joins us now. Christina, good morning. Good morning, Brian. You have uh, Senate Republicans set to meet today to determine the next steps on bipartisan infrastructure talks. This follows last week's offer from the White House to pare down President Biden's sweeping proposal from $2.25 trillion to $1.7 trillion. West Virginian Senator Shelley Moore Capito, who is leading the Republican infrastructure effort, said her negotiating team would discuss possible next steps, but offered no details about options. Capito adding she's not ready to, quote, call it quits. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signing a law yesterday that gives his state the power to fine tech and social media companies up to $250,000 a day when they ban a political candidate running for office from their platforms. The law to prohibit what it calls deplatforming is the first of its kind in the country and may be a model for other states to follow, even though one tech business group said the law runs counter to the First Amendment. DeSantis says the law is a blow against Silicon Valley elites, who he said were seeking to censor conservative political views. An authentic brands group is reportedly exploring going public as soon as this year. The company owns brands like Brooks Brothers, Juicy Couture, and Forever 21. Bloomberg reports authentic brands has held discussions with potential advisors about an IPO and could seek a valuation of about $10 billion when it goes public. Brian? Could be a big payday there. They spent years building that company up. Now take it public and everybody banks some coin. Christina, thank you. We'll see you in a few minutes. Thank you. All right. Now, as promised, back to the markets and your money. And fears over inflation among investors fading at least uh, the last day or so on fresh Fed comments, calling price pressures transitory once again. Again, whatever that means. It's a topic that we raised, though, in our latest conversation with Guggenheim, Scott Minard, yesterday and how long those pressures will remain. If I'm right, and ultimately the inflation scenario is not going to play out the way people fear, uh, then um, we're going to find that inflation a year from now, uh, when we have um, year-over-year comparables, is going to be significantly lower than where we are today, and the market's not priced for that. All right, joining us now with the macro and maybe a couple of special picks just for us. We're joined by Josh Wine. He is managing portfolio at uh, portfolio manager rather at Hennessy Funds. Uh, Josh, it's great to have you back on the program again. Do you believe that inflation is quote transitory, whatever again that that time period may refer to? Yeah, transitory. Yeah, that's the big word. So I guess so. Yes, I believe that you know it's hard to come up with a thesis that we're going to have you know a an inflationary environment that's problematic, at least problematic, where the Fed needs to step in. And I think that, you know, it's been labor. So I think that this, it's a supply-driven uh, issue here. So, you know, when you hear about shortages, it typically, not always, but typically comes back to labor shortages, in, you know, on the factory floor or in restaurants. And, and so we need to see how things play out in terms of unemployment benefits and people coming off the sidelines and and taking jobs. So I, I think I agree with this idea that it's transitory or transient or temporary. Uh, I, I think we're in good shape. I don't think the Fed coming yeah. in and raising rates to uh, dampen demand is is really what would work or what the issue is. Do 
I spoke with a restaurant owner yesterday, Josh, who said she can't find workers. Everybody who's come in to apply for open jobs has only asked to be paid in cash because they and they just were she said they were blunt. They just wanted to continue to accept accepting unemployment, but also working for cash under the books. And she had to turn them away. I wonder how much that is being played out. But do you think that's enough to stall any economic recovery? Because the money is still there. It's just a measure of whether it's mostly small businesses are going to be able to prosper. Yeah, I think that that says it all. I mean, I think that people people are rational actors and, and to the extent that they want to you know, use their time wisely. And and I think this idea that the job will be there in a few months when when benefits run out is probably accurate. So, yeah, I think that that in a nutshell says it all. So I think that we need to it'll be tough because we, we love to look at all these data points. But, you know, we need to wait a few months and see how that all plays out. It is hard to imagine that that somehow, even though there were, I don't remember there being any issues on the labor front in, you know, restaurants and factory floors, you know, 12 months ago. And now somehow after a pandemic, that's going to be an issue, especially with, you know, these numbers, you know, virus numbers and case yeah. numbers and, and the like being, you know, they're so compelling now and, you know, we haven't kicked it, but it's, it's getting there. So I, I think this is, well, I'm always trying to uh, Josh, in my reporting, I've always found the best data point is just to go out and actually speak with people and, and let them talk um, to you and tell them what they're seeing. Very quickly, yeah. leave us with some opportunity. Leave us with some picks. We're talking about an infrastructure bill. Is that one of the reasons you like Quanta Services? I know everybody's always talking about Costco. Nobody ever talks about BJ's Wholesale Club, but another two stocks that you like right now for obviously very different reasons. Exactly. Yeah, they're they're both in our cornerstone mid cap thirty fund at Hennessy, and we're looking at you know price momentum, valuation, and earnings growth. So Quanta, you know, uh, infrastructure services for utilities, you know, grid hardening and modernization. So that's very thematic. It, you know, that's not why we own it, but it certainly it fits squarely in the theme of infrastructure that is getting talked about a little bit more as we get closer to some kind of a deal there. Uh, and then BJ's wholesale. So it lives in the shadow of Costco. Uh, it's a very similar business model, so, you know, you know, membership driven model and uh, some nice growth, you know, expanding the footprint uh, ever so slightly in a very thoughtful way. And and both, you know, have you know compelling valuations and you know, operating metrics. So, you know, we're very, very excited to have those in the portfolio. All right. Good stuff. Leaving with some opportunity there. Quanta and BJ's Josh Wine of Hennessy Funds. Josh, always a pleasure to have you on. Have a great day. Thank you. All right. You're welcome. When we come back, much more from our exclusive interview with Guggenheim Scott Minard. We'll get his take on gold, silver and one more precious asset. Plus, does he see crypto falling more? He nailed that call where you're going to find out. Plus, Hitting the skids, the electric vehicle maker that is down big and running into some funding trouble. There's your mystery chart. It's not pretty. We'll give you the name behind it. And later on, Bezos meets bonds. Amazon closes in on its potential latest big deal. And this one going right after the movies. We got a lot more to do. Dow Futures up 96. And we are back right after this. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. 
or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back. It is time now for your three big money movers of the morning. Here you go. Stock number one, the name is Bezos, Jeff Bezos. Sources say Amazon is nearing a deal to buy MGM Studios for about $9 billion. That deal expected to be announced as soon as today. MGM, the home of the James Bond franchise, as well as a massive library of TV shows and movies that could be just integrated right in to Amazon Prime. Stock number two, Lordstown Motors, and that is your mystery chart. The electric car startup posting a wider first quarter loss and saying it is seeking additional capital to keep going. Lordstown says production of its endurance pickup truck will be limited this year and would be at best about half of previous expectations. And stock number three, Square, shares up again, rising on a report it could offer savings and checking accounts in the near future. Bloomberg says the company's plans were revealed in a code within an update to the Square app. Whoops, Square, though, is not commenting. All right, coming up, how one tourist and educational landmark in the city of brotherly love is looking to get back on its feet as restrictions ease heading into the holiday weekend. We're going to talk to the head of the very cool and very fun Franklin Institute. Today's big number, $1.93 billion. That's how much Ethereum miners have made so far in May, according to research from The Block, a record month. The price of Ether is down sharply from its May 12th high, above $4,300. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome back. It does seem appropriate that the Museum and Science Center, named after Ben Franklin, would be the first to reopen in Philadelphia. And the Franklin Institute did just that, reopening to the public all the way back last July when so many others remained closed. And it did it safely. We'd expect nothing less from one of the oldest centers of science education and development in America. And now they are preparing for the next and final step of a full reopen, not only just of the Franklin Institute, but of the city of Philadelphia as well. The president and CEO of the Franklin Institute, Larry Dubinsky, joins us now. Larry, it's good to have you on as well. And you guys did something that people thought was maybe a little bit nuts back in July of 2020, but you proved it could be done. You proved it could be done safely. 
You've been welcoming in guests and visitors since that time. What are the next steps? What is the Franklin Institute going to look like if I bring my six-year-old there next month? Great. Well, first of all, obviously, safety and from the beginning has driven what we've done. And people have had a wonderful time coming here safely learning about science. And when you come next, Philadelphia is open. It's safe. I think it's important for people to know it's safe to go inside. And it's safe to learn and be excited about science and technology. If there's anything this year has shown us is how important science is. When you come to the Institute, almost every exhibition is back open. Uh, We've made a few modifications. Obviously, there's every type of protocol you would want in here when you came. We're still even limiting capacity as people come in. We want to make sure people feel comfortable and have an enjoyable time as they learn. And they will. And by the way, Larry, as we have learned, as I'm sure you have learned, especially running a science institution, the the science has uh, evolved greatly in the last, let's call it six to nine months. I think we have all learned a lot. How have you had to evolve? How will you continue to evolve? Yeah, I think that's a that's a great question. Obviously, last year, we immediately moved digitally online to be able to make sure we continued to work with people, not just here in Philadelphia, but around to bring the foremost science forward. I think that word pivot, I think the only thing we know right now is the certainty is the uncertainty. So we're continuing to make changes as we go forward, and we will, um, you know, as, as we look at this. I think last year was just such a tough year, obviously, for us. We're 65% earned revenue as our many science centers around North America, mm. and we took a huge hit. So we're ready to be back in and working and welcoming people. And I think that uh, the community is ready to come in. We're starting to see some buildup now. And I think once your cities and the country now says, hey, we're open for business, that's going to work really well. I think also what we've seen is really how philanthropy has helped us get through this year. Not just philanthropy from individuals, but you know, for many of your viewers, obviously that corporate philanthropy has been so key throughout the year. Those partnerships have only elevated through the year. And we know that companies, you know, such as those in pharma, but you know, for us, really every company that we've dealt with, whether it's banking, energy, they have provided support because they know how important it is to continuing that inspiration of science and technology among y'all old and young alike, as well as provide scientific facts. But as you said, things mm-hmm. are continuing to evolve. Yeah. Has it been hard or frustrating? I'm sure, listen, la- the last 15 months has been hard in so many different ways, Larry. I can't imagine trying to run what you've run and also keep people in and volunteers and employees and everybody coming in. Has it been tough to kind of gauge where to come in on the ever-changing science and the ever-changing rules? And that's not to take a jab at anybody or any organization, but I would imagine from your perspective, and we're seeing this firsthand, there's still a lot of organizations. We spoke to the head of the Met last week in New York who's saying, well, maybe you don't need to wear a mask in many parts of New York, but for us, you still will because the easiest or maybe the best thing to do is to side with abundance of caution. Where do you come in and how hard has it been for you to kind of keep up with the changes? Yeah, Brian, I appreciate that. Yeah, it's been the toughest year, I think, in the 200 years of the Institute's history, whether through two world wars, depression, other pandemics, never have we seen a shutdown like this in the history. And um, unfortunately, last March, we had to lay off almost 75% of our employees, heart-wrenching, and it's going to be slow to build back. 
we really consult scientific experts as we make decisions. I'm very fortunate that on my board, I have some great scientists, including leading infectious disease doctors. So we're really able to really get in daily in terms of understanding what's there. And as I said earlier, you have to continually make changes. I think we're going to see mask mandates continue in institutions like ours for the near future because we have so many kids that come in and you know many are still unvaccinated but i think that message is clear if you get vaccinated you are safe to come indoors and you should um but we're going to continue to make those changes as we go forward larry dubinsky throwing the science i love it if you're vaccinated you are safe that's what we've been told that's what the data tells us pennsylvania cases down 88 percent just quickly is the planetarium open? That's what I care about, Larry. Oh, no, it's great. The planetarium's open. We've actually had it open since last July with limited um, capacity, and people love it. There's always still a wait to get in. There's nothing else like it. One of the oldest planetariums in the world. Yeah, by the way, plan ahead. I think that's another thing, too, as well with the Crayola exhibit. I know it's winding down soon. Get in to check that out. Larry Dubinsky, the Franklin Institute. Larry, thank you very much. Really appreciate that. Brian, thank you, and thanks to everything y'all have oh. done to cover this really important issue. Oh, we've we've tried our best as well, as well as you have, Larry. We appreciate that. Thank you. By the way, having their own team of scientists there on board, you'd expect nothing less from the Franklin Institute. All right, all right. Let's get now a check on this morning's other headlines, including more international outrage after Belarus's strongman leader forced an international flight to land over the weekend. Let's get that and more with NBC's Philip Mena. Philip. Hey, Brian, good morning. Yeah, there is growing international outrage after the authoritarian leader of Belarus faked a bomb threat to force a passenger plane to land, all in order to arrest a well-known opposition journalist. The U.S., along with several other countries, condemned the move, calling for the release of the detainee. The EU has agreed on sanctions, banning Belarusian airlines from EU airports and telling European airlines to stop flying over Belarus. After a years-long legal battle between House Democrats and the Trump administration, former Trump White House counsel Don McGahn has agreed to testify before a House Judiciary Committee next week. McGahn has agreed to a closed-door testimony on the 2019 Mueller report. Democrats who run the committee have sought McGahn's testimony for two years now as part of their obstruction investigation into former President Donald Trump. The questioning will be confined to what's in the Mueller report and about any comments made by Trump about McGahn's role in the investigation. A transcript of the hearing will be made public a week later. Lawmakers in Texas passed a bill last night allowing residents to carry handguns without a permit. The state's governor, Greg Abbott, says he'll sign it into law. Gun control advocates are blasting the new open carry bill, arguing that it would strip critical safeguards from the gun buying process and make police officers' jobs more dangerous. Finally, a big moment for Phil Mickelson and a big apology from the PGA. The CEO of golf's governing body issued a statement apologizing for spectators at the PGA Championship, overwhelming security, making players and caddies feel vulnerable. That was the scene on Sunday as Phil Mickelson made his way to the 18th hole, pushing his way through that massive crowd of people as he went to the green. And Brian, this is exactly what you were talking about yesterday. I think you said that it was weird watching the mob of people uh, crowd Phil Mickelson as he approached uh, the 18th there, uh, like as if we're not just crawling out of a deadly pandemic. 
Yeah, I turned to my family and I said, this is either the start of something really cool or going to be a weekend to remember for all the wrong reasons. And um, there you go. We got the apology for the PGA. Philomena, thank you very much. All right. All right, and as we head to break, a big reminder, CNBC is auctioning off a non-fungible token, NFT, in honor of our late friend Mark Haynes and his famous 2009 Haynes Bottom Call. We're also selling a set amount of tokens. All proceeds go to Autism Speaks and the Council for Economic Education, which focuses on financial literacy. You can check it out and bid at mintable.app slash CNBC. The auction ends tomorrow at 10.30 a.m. Jump in now. We're back after this with Dow Futures up 96. Sell in May and go away? You better hope not because stocks look to keep the win streak going. Futures are higher once again. A Monday to remember in crypto bouncing back in a big way. And the man who called the big drop is back. Our latest conversation with Guggenheim Scott Minard on what led to his call on this very program of that big drop for Bitcoin. The thing that, uh, you know, Brian, that, uh, you know, alerted me to the problem with the, the rapid rise of Bitcoin was that it had gone exponential. And any market that goes exponential is automatically unsustainable. And open up that wallet and book that trip now. New data this morning on the big jump by Americans when it comes to spending to hit the road or the skies this summer. It is Tuesday, May 25th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Welcome or welcome back and good Tuesday morning, everybody. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for joining us. And here's how your money in the global markets are setting up their Tuesday. They're setting it up pretty nicely. We are seeing futures higher once again. NASDAQ futures up not quite a half a percent, but they're doing very well, up 72. Dow futures up 100 points. And don't look now, but the Dow is actually up three straight days. Coming into today, we could make it four. Seems hard to believe given the huge swings that we have seen, especially early in the weeks, the last couple of weeks, but the last two weeks have been defined by big moves up. In fact, check out this. I guess this could be an RBI. Two weeks ago and last week, the S&P 500 rose 3.13% from its Wednesday low to the Friday close and 3.11% from the Wednesday close or low to the Friday close each of the last two weeks. That, according to Instanet, In other words, the last two weeks were nearly exactly mirror images of each other. Pretty remarkable. All right, we'll get more on the markets and your money and maybe more stats like that in a moment. But right now, more of your other top stories that are happening now, including the latest push for a global minimum corporate tax. Christina Partsinevelos is back with more on that and more. Christina. Thank you, Brian. We have the Biden administration reportedly expects strong support from fellow G7 members for its proposed 15 percent plus global minimum corporate tax. Speaking with Reuters, Deputy Treasury Secretary Wally Adoyamo said he expects that support to be voiced at an in-person meeting of the group's finance ministers in London next week. 
Americans are planning to open up their wallets once again as they wrap up their vacation plans. A new report on summer travel from Deloitte shows more than 60% of travelers will spend about the same on their summer trips compared to 2019 before last year's lockdowns. Only 13% will spend significantly less. The report adds that a majority of travelers will stay in a hotel compared to 23% who will opt for a private rental. And Elon Musk said he's having active discussions regarding the sustainability of Bitcoin. Taking to Twitter yesterday, Musk revealing he has spoken with North American Bitcoin miners about their commitment to renewable energy use. This comes as Musk or after Musk announced Tesla would no longer be accepting Bitcoin as payment for its vehicles over carbon footprint concerns. Brian, isn't it incredible just how much uh, Musk, whenever he comes out, you can see the swings in Bitcoin, but he claims he's not capitalizing on this because he hasn't sold any Bitcoins as of late. Yeah, but certainly on the tape and when he's talking about the Dogecoin and then the Bitcoin and Tesla's buying it, there's some confusion. I understand why there probably is a little. You wonder if he just sits at home in his giant mansion. He owns many of them and just says, you know, with friends, hey, watch this. Well, which is why did you watch him on Saturday Night Live? Just the fact that he brought up Dogecoin and called it a hustle. Like everybody was watching that and they had parties and uh, you saw some swings. I did not watch it. I did not watch it, but obviously we heard about it a lot. Christina, thank you. We'll see you in a bit. Take care. All right. Nearly one month ago today, Guggenheim, Scott Minard, was on this very program, making a pretty doggone big call on Bitcoin at the time. In fact, he said you should expect a sell-off of up to 50% in Bitcoin. Turns out he was nearly right on the money. So we sat down with Scott again yesterday and began by asking him what led him to that call and what we should expect in the weeks and maybe months ahead. Well, you know, the thing that, uh, you know, Brian, that, uh, you know, alerted me to the problem with the, the rapid rise of Bitcoin was that it had gone exponential. And any market that goes exponential is automatically unsustainable. Um, and so I, I just uh, looked at it and realized that given the size of the mood, uh, the move, which was essentially a, a mania or a bubble, uh, that uh, traditionally you get you know fifty to seventy five percent declines coming out of the top of the bubble. So um, you know I think that the uh, that at the time I remember saying that I thought. Uh, the bottom would be somewhere between twenty and thirty thousand. We've yet to hit the thirty thousand number. Um, we got really close, uh, but you know I think that uh, uh, this kind of a, uh, a decline is a, a washout. If you look at things like the stock market crash of nineteen eighty seven. Uh, you know, it takes a while to to build a base and consolidate again. And then, of course, the other problem is the proliferation of competing currencies, which, um, you know, is uh, actually taking some of the capital away from uh, those who would invest in Bitcoin normally. And they're allocating to other uh, uh, coins. Do you feel like the selling for the big ones, Bitcoin and Ethereum is is over? Do you think it's kind of? Uh, flushed its way out of the system, Scott? Uh, I think you can afford to be patient here. I think we've got more to go. Um, I mean, the, the I referred to this as, you know, it's tulip mania. Um, and the reason I, I did that is if you study tulip mania, uh, why it happened was uh, with the rise of the Dutch trading companies, 
um, the Dutch suddenly were exposed to tulips, which came from the Middle East. And so um, they became, you know, a novelty and, and, a, and a sign of uh, wealth. And then they discovered that they could actually take a, you know, a red tulip and a yellow tulip and they could crossbreed them and they could get red tulips with yellow stripes and things like that. And so there was this proliferation of tulips. And, um, and then ultimately, uh, as the prices rose, um, you know, there were people who invested in building hothouses and coming up with new uh, breeds of uh, tulips. The whole ecosystem of tulips, you know, 500 years ago, I get the analogy, but here's the thing. I can still buy tulips today. They still have value. It's, yeah, they came down, but they still exist. Well, I mean, that's, that's the funny thing. I, I, it, Brian, a lot of people say that I flip-flopped here on crypto and or on Bitcoin, and, and the answer to that is no. You know, there are still tulips, and there's still going to be Bitcoin. And uh, it's going to take a while to repair the damage. But, um, you know, Bitcoin, I think, is the survivor. Uh, there will be others that are survivors. And just like, you know, back in the Internet bubble, you know, who, who is going to be the survivor? You know, Amazon or Pets.com? Um, and, you know, we had to have the flush out, you know, uh, and the, the crash in prices to yeah. have time to, to sort this out. And I think that's what we're going to have to go through for the next couple of years. Do you think it's going to be Bitcoin or Ethereum or Bitcoin and Ethereum? How does it ultimately play out? You know, that's a, that's a tough question. Uh, you know, I think uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum will survive. But if you let's go back to the uh, Internet bubble, you know, AOL was the absolute winner. Uh, and nobody questioned that they were the leader. Um, Yahoo was the winner. Um, and so then Google came along and uh, other P- other players came along. And so. Uh, I think what we're going to find out is there's going to be some new crypto that comes along, um, which can overcome some of the issues that we're facing right now with the cost of mining, you know, all the carbon production uh, and issues like that. And it'll be a superior form of crypto. And I think that will become the dominant crypto. Is it possibly something called silver coin? You know, you take something out of the ground, put it into a metal. Okay, I'm being a little sarcastic. I actually mean silver, the actual physical metal. It's been hot. You've been a long time bull of silver and a lesser extent gold. Do you remain bullish on the metals? Uh, I am, uh, Brian. I think, look, gold, uh, as money leaves crypto and people are still looking for inflation hedges, uh, gold and silver are going to be much better places to go. Uh, it's going to take a while to build a momentum uh, in gold uh, because, uh, you know, the, the size of the market is so much bigger and there's so much gold in the world. Uh, but ultimately, I think gold will uh, move into an exponential phase. Uh, I think, uh, you know, five to ten thousand dollars an ounce for gold ultimately is in the cards. And, um, you know, after gold starts to make a move. Uh, you know, silver traditionally lags and, and uh, you know, silver is the poor man's gold. And uh, it's the one that will uh, have the largest move on a percentage basis ultimately. So it's the high beta version of gold. And I think, uh, 
you know, having a, a fairly significant allocation to that and the gold miners, GDX, uh, would make a lot of sense right now. What's been amazing about the last few months of the inflation debate is how little yields and bonds have moved, at least as far as government bonds go. When will we get real talk of a Fed taper or raising rates? Uh, how long do you think this ultimately goes on? You seem to be one of the few people left in the world calling for a lower 10-year yield. And yet in the last six weeks, even with all the volatility in crypto and the stock market, 10-year yields haven't moved. Does that give you more optimism on your outlier call? Right. And I think that, uh, look, it's interesting, Brian, when, when everything moves together at one time uh, and, and the correlations all move toward one, that's telling that you that you're getting into some sort of a speculative phase. Uh, the last time we had the correlation between the bond market and the stock market uh, as high as it is today was back in 1999. Um, we're not to the peaks yet of that correlation, but uh, as you know, if the bond market sells off, so does tech. You know, if tech rallies, the bond market rallies. Um, so uh, the, all this is telling you is all of these assets are highly dependent upon the Federal Reserve uh, providing mm-hmm. money and continuing to, to pump them up. And as other assets fall out of favor, like crypto now, um, you know, there will be another asset that comes back into favor. But if I'm right, and ultimately the inflation scenario is not going to play out the way people fear, uh, then um, we're going to find that inflation a year from now, uh, when we have um, year-over-year comparables, is going to be significantly lower than where we are today, and the market's not priced for that. So, um, you know, we could very well see that when stocks go down, uh, which they eventually will, uh, then that uh, the bonds are the, uh, are the investment vehicle. If stocks don't go down and bonds rally, then we're probably going to push tech even higher and, and the stock market even higher. And quickly to wrap it, Scott, what do you think is more likely to happen over the next six months on a macro caught S&P 500, you know, macro equity level? Do stocks go up or do stocks go down? Uh, I think we're due for a correction. Uh, and so for the next six months, you know, I think we're going to get a pullback maybe of 10 percent or so. Yeah. But ultimately, uh, I think we'll see the S&P at 5000 and possibly higher. All right. Our big thanks to Guggenheim Partners, Global Chief Investment Strategist Scott Miner with some views there and the man who called that Bitcoin big drop. All right. Coming up, many shoppers say they want sustainability when it comes to the brands they buy. So one firm decided to rank them and the results, who's on it and who's not, may surprise you because some pretty big names you know are not on the list. We're going to break it out for you next. Well, sustainability practices are becoming more and more important to consumers who are looking to give their money to brands that they think support their values, according to new research from Stiefel. And now the firm is launching an index based around those practices, all that amid the increased focus on sustainability. Joining us now is Jim Duffy, sports and lifestyle brands analyst at Stiefel. Jim, welcome. Read the press release, read the latest in the first result. Uh, The top names, Bombas, North Face, Patagonia, seem to be kind of these these niche companies. I was surprised. I didn't see a lot of the big names, particularly the ones you cover as stocks, on that list. What surprised you most about the launch of this index? 
Yeah, good morning, Brian. Thanks for having me on the show. You know, frankly, we weren't surprised by the outcome of the uh, index. What you see on the list is a mix of upstart brands that have launched with sustainability as a platform and have been able to successfully leverage that. That's names like Bombas, Allbirds, On Running is another. Uh, you also see some outdoor brands, which have been vocal advocates of environmental causes and also do really well on social causes. Um, and you see a mix of European footwear brands, uh, many of the European brands further ahead on sustainability than their North American counterparts. Yeah, certainly. Is that just because they, they do, do they do things differently? Because I was looking at your index, Jim, and thinking, is this the perception of sustainability or a metric of sustainability? Because let's be clear, companies can, they can fool you. Oh, they can. And that's one thing we should be clear about with respect to this survey. Stiefel commissioned a survey of 11,500 consumers across six different markets. The survey reflects consumers' perceptions of brands' sustainability. So one of the things that we see in the data, there were uh, 50 companies for which we included in the survey, all of them good actors, Brian. And so each of them have evolved sustainability platforms. Um, the, uh, many of them, however, just aren't doing as good a job of communicating to consumers uh, their, about their sustainability efforts. And that should help because it could possibly help get some activity. Now, one quick name, leave us with some opportunity. We showed it there on the wall. If we can put that back up. So the bottom right, Columbia, that's a stock you also cover. You've got a buy rating on it. Your target is well above the current price. Does that factor in or is that just kind of a cherry on top? of your belief in Columbia? Well, that's a component of it for sure. Uh, we've seen increased participation in outdoor activities uh, with the pandemic. Columbia Sportswear is a company with a really strong balance sheet. Um, the channel is squeaky clean coming into this year. So we see Columbia with strong orders and on top of a streamlined expense base, a lot of opportunity to lever expenses and drive margin and earnings improvement. Jim Duffy of Stiefel rolling out the new Sustainability Perception Index. Jim, a pleasure to have you on the program. Congrats on the index. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Thanks so much, Brian. Oh, you're very welcome. Right on deck. It is your morning RBI and what many on Wall Street say are the biggest risks to the markets right now. Do you think you know what the top risk is? I'll bet you don't, but we're going to show it to you and get Victoria Fernandez to chime in on it. Next, with Dow Futures up 85, and we're back after this. Time now for your morning RBI. And today's most random but interesting thing has to do with the biggest risk to the market in the months ahead. And it comes from Deutsche Bank's monthly survey. Keep in mind, the numbers don't add up to 100% because the clients were asked to choose up to three risks. All you math people out there, I didn't want you adding me. All right, so here they are, the top-ranked risks right now. And number one may not be what you think. Actually, that is inaccurate. Let's take that down. That is not correct. The number one ranked risk is inflation. Bond yields throwing some kind of tantrum. 63% of those surveyed marked that down. 20% fewer than the number two risk, which was what you saw there. New COVID variants immune to vaccines. Seems unlikely, but... Listen, been through a lot. There's still a lot of fear out there. It was the number one risk last month. So inflation went from down here, boom, supplanting COVID and variants by a long shot. That was followed by central bank policy error. 
than the economy and geopolitics. And the other stuff that we talked about, we talk about risk. The big new fear, again, fear is inflation and how bonds react because if yields spike, investors won't pay as much for high growth, but high valuation tech stocks, and that could send stock prices lower. And that's why you care about connecting the dots between inflation, the boring bond market, but all your flashy tech investments. Random, but hopefully interesting. All right, let's bring in Victoria Fernandez, Chief Market Strategist at Crossmark Global Investments. Somebody who is a a perfect... You worry for your clients, Victoria, so they do not have to. Is it, how would you have responded? Is inflation your biggest risk right now? No, inflation is not our biggest risk. I think the concern is that the market sees inflation as a risk. Um, and even though we see it more as transitory, we lie more kind of in the same camp as the Fed does. When you continue to see the headlines come through that there's this huge concern and people see it in their daily shopping habits, right? And their gasoline prices and their grocery store prices. Then I think they start to get more concerned. But we have to remember, Brian, is that inflation is a year over year number, right? Or quarter over quarter number um, that people are looking at. And Scott Minard said it earlier. You look 12 months out from now and we do that year over year comparison, I don't think we're going to see continued higher inflation, which is what the Fed is looking for. So, no, I think even though we we see a little bit of inflation out there, what we have to watch is when the baton is handed off from this transitory inflation over to wage inflation. That's going to be when we start to get worried and we're just not seeing that yet. You're not seeing it yet because we have a well-known business person who is on this network who happens to live in your town of Houston and owns the Rockets. Obviously, Tillman. We're talking about him and him and other everybody else we talked to says it is tough to get employees right now for whatever reason you want to choose. But the reality is to get them, you're going to have to pay them more. You do not believe that wage inflation is here to stay, it sounds like, Victoria. Well, that's the key phrase, to stay. And I don't doubt at all what Tillman is saying. I don't doubt at all what we're hearing from all of these small business owners, that they're having to give bonuses for people to sign up. But again, come September, when the additional added benefits go away, and some states have already started to take that away, so it'll be interesting to see how wages happen in those 12, 13 states. When schools actually start in person again, so people are willing to go back to work, then I think we have to look and see what happens to wages. In the short term, absolutely there's wage inflation. But in the longer term, which is what the Fed is looking for, to see that substantial progress, they say, towards longer term inflation, I'm not sure we're there quite yet. Okay, well, I know where we are quite yet in that if you go to the Galleria or if you go to the Post Oak Bar or whatever at the hotel, there are people dropping down their cards to buy clothes, to buy drinks. We're coming out of the pandemic. Is that one of the reasons you like MasterCard? Absolutely. We've liked MasterCard for a while because it was a good way to play the financial space. But again, it has multiple uses. So yes, it fits into the reopening trade. You mentioned the Galleria, the shopping mall. I was there this weekend. There were lines outside of stores, not just because of the restrictions inside of how many people, but there were just massive amounts of people that you couldn't fit them in the stores. And these were luxury stores that people were were waiting outside of. So we definitely 
definitely have consumption there. April was a little weak, but May, I think, is going to be really strong. Credit card transactions are showing over the last two weeks 8% over where we were in 2019. So I think you have a good bet with MasterCard and even Visa here. There it is, consumer spending, how long this this inflation story may last, but a name that you like. And we love ending the show with a little opportunity. Victoria Fernandez, thank you, and we will see you soon. Thanks, Brian. All right, that does it for us here on a Worldwide Exchange. Kind of goes by like that, doesn't it? We will see you tomorrow. Another big show planned, but we're going to leave it with Squawk Box and the gang up next. And Dow Futures up nearly 100. Have a great day. We'll see you in about 23 hours. Take care. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.